The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, theology, poor excuses, and Miranda Divine, you have been warned. Thursday the 8th of October 2020, in this episode I'm joined by Father Carl Sinclair, a parish priest in the Catholic Diocese of Bathurst, and we talk about many, many things, including underpants, and some surprising points of theology. Loving loving raisin cakes is apparently idolatry. We ponder the ever-present phenomenon of conspiracy theories. The truth is itself pretty alarming. So why do we why do we need to go down these rabbit holes that, you know, go into fantasy lands? And we hear how the COVID-19 lockdown has affected his parishioners' approach to religion. An excuse not to go to church isn't always the worst thing in the world for some people. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm Orange Schadenfreude Sins with Father Carl Sinclair. Or is it These Are The Sins? Well, ladies and gentlemen, as usual in this little spring series of episodes, uh, we're going to start by talking about the quarantines. Uh, they're dominating our lives this year, obviously. Now, for me, as we record this on Wednesday, the 7th of October, day 204 of the quarantines, 29 weeks and one day, you've heard enough from me. Father Carl, before we talk about COVID-19, though, you are... Out in Orange, in central west of New South Wales these days, that's your patch of the world now. So what's it like out there? I guess first, tell me about your parish. Who lives there? How big is it? Well, there's there's a beautiful thing that the, because we have a census every five years in this country, some Catholic people come along and come up with these beautiful parish profiles. So I can tell you exactly how many people were uh-huh. living there in 2016. Fantastic. It, which, so there was there's forty five thousand three hundred thirty three in what makes up our parish, of which thirteen thousand four hundred eighty three are Catholics, which is a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. How many of them turn up for mass? Well, yeah. this is this is the thing. So we don't get a lot, a huge number turning up for mass. In fact, they, the numbers are very much down at the moment because of COVID as well. People staying away and whatnot. But there is, uh, but it does mean that we get lots, of, especially um, Catholic funerals, is a, is a huge portion of what we do. But, Not um, because of COVID, I hope. No, 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 no. I don't think we've had a single COVID death in Orange. But it's, but there is a lot of you know. There's a lot of people, and so therefore there's a lot of Catholics, and it means lots of work to, um, in the in, for for people who are Catholic in the parish. Um, there's a there's an interesting number. Like it, Orange is different. Is a very interesting parish in that it's got, you know, it's very much that old sort of country sort of area, but. There has been uh, a lot of people moving, particularly in the health industry, who are, who have come from overseas. Um, so you've got some you've got some more established migrant communities. I think there's a, it's a big Italian community. There's an there's a Spanish community. I think. Okay. Um, I know of a couple of Spanish people anyway. <laughs> um, and then, but then you've got They're this. Still sounding pretty white. Well, that's right. But now, but now you've got this influx of um, of, of Indian people, and, right. and and a lot of them come from Kerala, which is a which is a very Catholic part of India. So. So they 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 actually make up a good number of our of our mass goers as well. So you've got sort of a lot a lot of older people obviously coming to church, um, but you know then you've got this younger crowd. There, there are families. Orange is an interesting town. There's a statistic I discovered on looking this that 53 percent of people only live in the same address that they lived in in 2011. Which you know that's a lot of people to have moved 
in in five years. I think maybe I don't know. Maybe I haven't looked closely at other places. I have. I, I, I don't know. No, I know that younger people in the city. Uh, I mean, you know, if you're, I, I I'm struggling not to say millennial, but because they're mm. not younger even anymore entirely, but because of the the reduction in home ownership and the rise in prices, you know, everyone's popping around every year or two because of the rental market. Mm, mm. Well, maybe, and that's going to be less of a thing in an established country town. Well, you'd think so. I know that a lot of people are moving out to Orange. Orange itself is growing as a community, as a as like a town. I mean, it's true from a few of the communities in our diocese. Orange, Bathurst and Dubbo as towns are, are really growing. Uh, same is actually true of Mudgee where I was last year. It's become a big tourist hub as well, which, is, um, which has been good at the moment given that, well, it's good for everyone that, no one's able to go interstate or overseas, and so we're getting every weekend the town is flooded with people from from Sydney and other parts of the, of New South Wales. How has your flock? This is weird. Like I knew you before you were a priest, so now part <laughs> of my brain is wanting to switch into oh, you are talking to a priest now, and they are magical <laughs> creatures, and and you must be polite, and you you know you're not allowed to say words like fuck. Um, <laughs> which, which, of course, you know, in private, you may well do. Indeed, um, indeed. So, your flock, how have they reacted to to COVID? I mean, has you mentioned some of the things about you know fewer people coming to mass, which is to be expected. What what mm. else has been the vibe? Look, it's an interesting one. I remember when it sort of all started, there was a general sense of, you know, oh, is this a bit of an overreaction um, among some people. We, I, I actually only arrived in Orange with one, we had one weekend before the whole place went into lockdown, which was very strange. I'd only been ordained a priest for, I think, about three or four weeks at that point. And, and here I am, you know, not having a congregation. So I didn't really get to know the people all that well before lockdown or have that much in the way of contacts in it with them, you know. Most of it I was hearing from others. But there was a sense when it all started that, oh, maybe this is a bit over an overreaction. That that first weekend, which I think the first weekend we shut down was before the government had completely cut us off. Um, mm, we, mm. We, we sort of anticipated it by about two days. Um, I know Sydney, they were still saying masses, but we, we didn't for that first weekend. And there was a few people that showed up not having heard the message and they were a bit sort of rolling their eyes and like, are you guys serious? This is a bit ridiculous. Well, I mean, um, at that stage, it was it was no masses. Weddings could have the celebrant, the yep. couple and the two witnesses, and that was like it. That's correct. And yep. funerals up to ten, ten? Ten, 10 people, yeah, 10 people at funerals. Not counting the dead one. Or the or the celebrant. Um, so, right. or the, yeah, so that was... Like it was pretty rough. It was it was the entire way that we sort of operate, um, and so much of what we do is face to face that it just sort yeah. of laid us. You know, it, it really showed us how how much we rely on that because um, we were suddenly we had no people. Uh, you know, my my second weekend of masses in the parish, I was saying mass to a camera that was being streamed on our Facebook page, which. You know, most most priests had never done that, and here I am, less than a month into the job, and you know, here I am, you know, a, an online video star. Um, like it wasn't wasn't my with my with my homily being proclaimed to the you, whole, you're hardly uh, the whole world. You're hardly more a southern, mate. Yeah, look, we weren't getting huge numbers, I will say, but um, but we were, we, but it was suddenly this this was the way people were having to um to do church. 
Um, and as time went on over the over the weeks as we were locked down, we're suddenly having to you know respond, um, coming up with new ways of engaging. You know, coming up with with new things that we could do. We were doing a bit more on the online space. We we're trying to create some content. We did bits and pieces. Um, you know, we were doing. We've got this fabulous thing that we actually started among the uh, among the diocese, where all the priests are now writing a reflection every day. Um, that we sort of we actually take the time. It goes out as an email, a, a daily email, which is not something that we've done before. And it's you know we've continued it now, and I can I can't see it stopping into the future. So one of the actual really good things of this whole time is it's caused us to be very innovative. So it's um yeah it's 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 very been very different. Of course, as time went on, we suddenly started to un- unwind a bit with the restrictions. I think we went to having masses with ten people at them. Which was mm-hmm. itself that was quite a lot That's of work. Still we, weird. Well, we tried to put as many masses on as possible. Like you know, so suddenly we're we're saying lots of masses and we've got <laughs> a <ten>. massive masses. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, it was actually very funny. The first weekend, there's three of us, three priests in our parish, and the very first weekend we had planned these ten masses with ten people. Suddenly, one of my uh, fellow uh, assistant priest, um, I think he had a he had some kind of medical emergency that meant he had an operation and was out of action for two weeks. And so suddenly we've got all this work to do and we've scheduled for three priests and suddenly there's only two of us. So that was that got a little busy there. Um, but, you know, that was only for a short period and then we suddenly went to, to you know, having 50 at Mass uh, and then now we're at 100. Um, but we've noticed in that that there hasn't been a huge rush back to coming to church because I think, I mean, I, look, honestly, I think for some people, and this might sound a bit harsh, but it's probably true that, you know, that, they're, they're not rushing, like they're, they're, an excuse not to go to church isn't always the worst thing in the world for some people. Um, I don't mean that <laughs> in, in a critical way, but, you know, suddenly they're like, well, I don't have to be there, so I won't come. Well, on that, though, um, I mean, I, I have to put my cards on the table at some point, right? <laughs> I, I am not a Christian, let alone a Catholic, uh, <laughs> and I don't necessarily think I'm even a theist of any kind. Sure. But I did go to a religious school, a private school. I mean, Protestant, so, you know, is that even Christian? Um, <laughs> I have Methodist. to say yes at this point. I have to say yes. <laughs> we're, big, we're, we're big on ecumenism in the Catholic Church. The official answer is yes. But uh, uh, that was like, uh, look, I'll, I'll say it, Prince Alfred College in Adelaide. It's an elite school. I was on a scholarship. Um, it's a Uniting Church school now, but it was originally Methodist created in the early days of the colony of South Australia. So it's a really kind of work hard, Puritan work ethic kind of Methodism, you know, right back Indeed. to the Wesley's thing. And it's still there. The school motto is Fac Fortia et Patere. Do do brave deeds and endure. And endure. Yeah, no, that's that's Protestant. Um. Yeah. So that background was because my father had grown up in the Methodist church. Mm-hmm. My mother had grown up in the Lutheran church, being called Barossa Deutsch German. But of course, uh, the wife must adopt the father's church, the husband's church, right, mm. back then. I went, as a kid, we went to church on Sunday, but it was far more like a social and gossip occasion in a rural community, a tiny Indeed. rural community then, uh, than necessarily about the religion. Yeah. You'd have some of that too, I imagine. Oh, 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and look, I you know you can't you can never knock it. I think it's an important role, and well, well, uh, they'll hear a little bit about Jesus along the way, right? Yeah, that's or something like that. That's right, and and you know, in a sense that like those communal bonds, um, you know, are that thing that we we are on about in a sense. You know, we're on about love of neighbor and and things like that, which does get fostered in that in that communal setting. Um, but yeah, it, it, but it does sometimes I think cause people to be quite lukewarm. Uh, with their faith, which you know is just the reality, um, and I think some. Of, if we're talking about you know COVID, I think some of those people have been slow, slow to return. Others have been desperate to return. So we've sort of had both both ends of the scale on that front. Look, it's you know it's it's a different time. It's a, it's a very challenging time for us as well. I think at the at the back of all this COVID, because it is. I mean, the Catholic Church has been sort of we're the masters of the status quo. Um, Pope Francis put out a, a, that's, a document. That's a, that's a, a lovely, polite way of putting it. <laughs> well, no, and, and look, it, it, you know, I, I think you're laughing at some more of the, you know, bigger implications, but even just down to the sure. most minute of things, like the, the joke is if you want to, you know, annoy your parish, change the mass times. Like there's never, there's no war oh. like the war that emerges when mass moves from 8 to 8.30, you know, it's a, it's 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 one of those things like we people they do love their, their their status quo their habits and COVID has just absolutely destroyed the status quo like the the way we've operated up until this point is just not a thing anymore and and so in a way it's actually been like a healthy reset that's challenged us to relook at things think about the best way to do things you know actually try to be dynamic rather than just sort of passively doing what we've always done um, which. Can't be a bad thing, I suppose. <laughs> For, you know, those of us, you know, who are not part of a church and mm. certainly not, you know, part of a priesthood, like what actually is the shape of your week? Because the public thing everyone thinks of, okay, there's church on Sunday and there's <laughs> christenings and marriages and, uh, you know, funerals, confirmations if you're a Catholic church, but then that happens within the context of a mass I see, but what, what I mean, what do you do on a Tuesday afternoon, for example, or Wednesday afternoon, apart from talking to me? My my week last week, we, we originally meant to record last week, and it yes. was quite funny when I saw that question because I was in the middle of quite a um, a varied week last week. Um, I spent uh, on Monday. I looked at a, at my calendar in the morning, and it was empty, and I had all this sort of work I needed to do to catch up on things. Um, and by lunchtime, I think I'd been dealing with three deaths. I'd had a hospital visit. I'd had, you know, all of a sudden all this stuff was going on in the parish that, that needed my attention. So that was that was Monday. Sorry, three three deaths and a hospital visit in the one day. Well, that was just in the morning. Yeah, look, it was a pretty it was a pretty <laughs> extreme day. We don't normally it was suddenly yeah it, something was obviously in the water on Monday morning in Orange. Um, but then so I had that going on. On top of that, I um, on the Tuesday I, we had a webinar about um, all the child protection stuff. So that was with the office of the Children's Guardian, and that we we had a second session of that on Thursday morning. So just that was, quietly, that is a fabulous thing to be happening within the Catholic Church for obvious reasons. Obviously, but yeah. it's depressing. <laughs> that you can't escape the webinars either. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, look, look, it's better than having to drive halfway across the diocese to attend a meeting in Bathurst than being okay. able to do it online. That's another thing we've we've gotten good at during COVID, actually, being able to gather online and do our do our content delivery and our meetings online, which is probably saving much petrol. But then, so I had that going on. Um, I obviously had scheduled my thing with you. 
I had a marriage preparation last week um, where, mm-hmm. I, where I actually met with a couple who were getting married in November. Um, I what it, what it, I had a meeting with my bishop. He's, he's given me the job of um, putting together some statutes for something, so something to do with canon law. I, I'm not an expert in canon law, but no one really in our diocese is, and he thought he might let me have a go at it. Um, so I'm, there's a fast learning curve there. Um, on the Thursday, I, um, I've been doing some training in our marriage tribunal, which is sort of the process by which marriages can be annulled. Um, and so I've, I had to do a, my first sort of real life interview in that, which was, you know, wow. basically, basically there was, there's a lot going on and it's very diverse. Obviously I had homilies to prepare on top of all this. I had masses most days. Um, you know, we, we have daily mass in our churches, so um, yeah, I oh, was, okay. Yeah, no. So I was saying mass. Does a mass include a sermon, or is that more the uh, Protestant thing? Well, no, no, no. Well, we, we. I'm showing my ignorance here. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's church, all right. But, but well, quite frankly, the only contact um, the school I went to had with the Catholic Church was inter-school sports, and I'm sure that was violent and um, oh, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Ross Trevor College, Ross Trevor College, which is. The Catholic church, uh, school in Adelaide that has like a large Italian community, yeah. so Italian Catholics. Yeah, the Prince Alfred College old scholars into school rugby matches. Yeah, let's go and smash some fucking Catholic heads. <laughs> that sounds pretty typical. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I know. It's it's a little less. I, mean, um, <laughs> I was about to say the fifteen hundreds never ended, did they? Well, that's right. That's right. At least not on the football field. Um, but yeah, no. So in terms of in terms of your question, um, so we're not mandated to give a homily at a weekday mass, except during the seasons of Lent and Easter. Homily, that's homily. That's, that's the word we use in the Catholic what you Church. Guys call them. Yep. But um, but I but I tend to. In fact, I think thus far every time I've said a public mass, so I've, I've I've given a short homily at the very least. They're not necessarily the most prepared things. They're often just the fruit of. A short period of reflection, but um, but yeah, so that's something else that that, that you have to having to do, and you know, in, in between all of that, as you know, you've got things like times in the confessional, you've got um, you've got school visits. You mentioned schools not having to do much with the schools. We uh, we we go to the schools from time to time. Um, but you've got a couple of Catholic schools in Orange, haven't you? We've well, got some Christian schools. No, we've got we've got two primary schools and a high school in the in the city limits. Plus, we've got two um, in the in the countryside. That's the other thing I didn't mention. We don't actually just take in the town of Orange. We include um, Molong as well, and then we've got a few of the villages like Manildra, um, Cadal, Cargo, Mullion Creek. So we're actually doing a bit of travel out into the countryside just to say mass from time to time. Um, so yeah, look, it's 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 big and diverse. There's there's lots of other things. I'm sure if I was to go back to my calendar, I'd find a whole lot of other things that I do um, in my week that are just just related to to being a priest. Uh, yeah, so it's um, wow. Um, okay, so it's a lot more work than I think most people imagine. It's just and a slight you have bit, to yeah. be, and you have to be calm, supportive, and reflective through all of this. Well, and that's well, right. And some. Sometimes you're I mean, jumping you can't, from thing you to can't thing. kind of get frustrated with a parishioner and slag them off, right? Or tell it's, them to it's pull their not head in. recommended. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I, I mean, to say it's never happened. I mean, look, so far for myself, I, I, I think I've I've behaved mostly. Um, I, you know, I, and I apologise for future times when I might lose my cool. But um, I know there are some very uh, famous instances of uh, of priests losing their cool. Uh, and you know, look, it's. 
it's it's just one of those things we are at the end of the day also human beings and and but mm. we do we do have to try to uh to, to at least present something resembling the love of god when we deal with people so yes that's that is also something we have to worry about Look, before we move on from uh, COVID-19, which we already have, but let's look back, <laughs> um, this has be- all become a bit of a morality play, right? I mean, Donald, Tr- Donald Trump, okay, this podcast <laughs> always comes back to Donald Trump. Because How can you not come back to Donald Trump? He sort exactly. of demands it. So as we record this, uh, Trump, of course, was Diagnosed with COVID nineteen, he spent some time in Walter Reed Medical Centre, which is not only like a key veterans hospital, but has a presidential suite for treating the president. So, as you can imagine, it's pretty pretty schmick, and they have some damn fine doctors there. But Carl, Father Carl, <laughs> I'd like you to comment on this clip from former. Former far right group blogger in in the Australian Miranda Devine, she's now a Murdoch blogger in the US with the New York Post, and and this piece is from literally just hours ago on yeah you guessed it Fox News. He's delivered a message of hope through experience, and he's sent the message that we can get back to work. That's what everybody wants. And I think it's just incredibly Mm -hmm. selfish of, you know, older people or neurotic people who are timid and afraid and won't come out of their basements to consign children and young people to miss out on the most important parts of their lives, on schooling and on the prime of youth. Um, when you talk about people that are older people that are, you think they're being, I'm sorry, I just want to make, clarify that they're being selfish or they're being yes, afraid? Yes, I do. I think that people in power who are insisting on keeping the economy shut down, insisting on keeping Americans just as frightened as they were six months ago of the coronavirus, which has receded as a threat, I think they are selfish. And I'm particularly pointing the finger, if you want okay, to know, at the um, Democrats and at Joe Biden. All right. It's an interesting point of view. Miranda Devine, love having you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dana. <laughs> now, what you can't see there is is Dana Perino, the presenter, her face is completely dumbfounded at this. People in power are selfish, especially Joe Biden, um, who's not in power. Look. Your first reactions, Father Carl. I saw this clip this morning before you drew my attention to it, but um, look, my first reaction is, oh, there goes Miranda again. At least she's over in America now <laughs> doing her thing. Um, look, it's just it, I, I don't actually understand it. I, it, it, mm. it just I get the economy thing. Like, you know, yes, we're all about the economy and we all want to keep the economy open and yada, yada, yada. But, like, they're up to, like, how many hundred? 200, is it 200,000 people have died? Yeah, it's over 200,000 people dead, which is more than, way more than the Korean War plus Vietnam War and a whole lot of other stuff put together and World and, War One. And that's sort of, you know, with measures in place that are meant to be presenting it. Now, obviously, America's... Well, measures-ish. Yeah, look, measures-ish, measures-ish. But, you know, how many more? Like, this this thing hasn't burnt out. It hasn't just gone away. I mean, as we as no. literally, after, while this was going on, it's taking out half of the, the White House, it seems, right now. Like, I think I read yesterday that there are more cases from the White House than there are in the, or have, have been in the entirety of New Zealand or something, you know. Oh, it's- New Zealand and <laughs> Vietnam and Thailand put together. Like- admittedly, Viet- <laughs> admittedly, Vietnam and Thailand 
really had their act together on this. Sure, sure. But you can do that in countries which are sort of essentially yeah. dictatorships. Indeed, indeed, and you know, I could I could talk privately about some of my uh, Vietnamese friends' opinions of of. of oh, I guess there, the Catholic but, um, Church is huge in in we, Vietnam. We well, have, um, less so now because they all fled. Yeah, we we, we have great relationships in, in, in our diocese. The, the, I was ordained alongside a Vietnamese man, and we have a few others yes, studying for priesthood. And in he's our still so. working out in the Central West? He's in Mudgee. So, yeah, he's, hey. um, he's signed up for the for the diocese, and yeah, he loves life out there. But um, <laughs> He must be one of the first Vietnamese vases in the community. Oh, no, look, they've got the baker, of course, like as most towns oh, of do. Of course, <laughs> yes. Pork rolls. <laughs> and they make a good pork roll in Mudgee. Oh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> But it's look the um, what we're we talking about. Oh, Miranda Devine. We were talking about <laughs> Trump. Trump. Of. That's right. But it's just the whole and, thing. And pork it, rolls. Yeah, and pork rolls. It just it baffles me. Like it's you know you, you made a reference to hope. I think we, we or you know. Well, it, I guess I was about to say the theme here. Trump. It's a message. Well, Miranda said it's a message of hope. I mean, Trump has risen. It's a message of hope. You know, you're the ex- you're the expert on messages of hope, mate. Yeah, what do you? What do you well, well, let's let's actually wait until he's out of the, you know through the thing. I think it was at Herman Cain. It was like 37 days from when he first caught it to when he died. So yeah, like- yeah, and Dr. Norman Swan on on the ABC. And and if anyone's not listening to Rona, to Corona Cast, um, yes, it's Australia focused, but seriously, it's every weekday. Corona cast, you'll you'll hear about the latest science, you'll you'll debug the latest bullshit. But yes, Norman <laughs> Swan says, yeah, look, the first week is the easy bit. When people fall off the cliff, it's in the second week or maybe the third week. And yeah, Trump is not looking well. Doctors are he's saying he is gasping for breath in that shot on the balcony when he came back to the White House. So maybe no, he's not. He's not looking well at all. But look, any more word on hope? Like hope must be grounded in something resembling reality. <laughs> like it's otherwise, it's just blind optimism. If it's not, if it's not actually, you know, real. If it's not, if it's not based on on something that is, you know, that has as its foundations reality. I mean, this idea that Donald Trump is out of the woods is <laughs> it just seems silly to me. It's. I don't know. Also, Trump is not Jesus Christ or even a Christ. No, I don't. I don't think I would say that he is. No, no, he's he's definitely not. I mean, I I, I won't go so far as some to 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 call him the Antichrist because I feel like that's not playing fair. But um, look, that Monty Python quote definitely applies here. You know, he's not the Messiah. He is just a very naughty boy. And look, <laughs> Donald Trump. What can you say? <laughs> If you've listened to this podcast before, you will know that people who subscribe with money, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment, uh, get to throw trigger words into the episode. And disappointingly, we only have one to come in today, Carl. Ginevra, who's been a supporter for a long time. And you've met her because you were on the very first public house forum, and Ginevra was too. Indeed. She's throwing in the trigger word, Deprogramming, which which feels a bit like a troll. 
to be honest. Well, yeah, look, I, I, I'm not 100% sure what she's referring to there, but from in my no, maybe not anything. Well, that's but right. But deprogramming. Look, it, it calls to mind for me, you know, I guess a lot of this stuff that's going on online, this radicalizing of people um you know it's 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 something you know i saw q and on was in the news today that they've uh, been banned uh, from facebook or something fine topic uh, on this <laughs> podcast sorry i interrupted you what have you seen in the news today no no that q and on has been banned from facebook i i, I saw oh, yeah. which is um you know it, it's a thing but that whole sort of online radicalization thing that just seems to be a thing these days like that's that's what deprogramming triggers for me. That it's something that we surely have to. I don't know how do how do we do with it. I, I I can I know some people in my own life who look from my opinion they've just gone down rabbit holes that I don't know how to get them out of. And this is a problem around the world. People are now saying, "Hey, I've got a cousin or my brother or my mate at work." who are now spouting this ridiculous 5G Bill Gates, New World Order, microchips crap. Have you had, How do have we you do had that crop up like as an actual thing in, in your congregation? Oh, look, definitely. I, I uh, you know, there's, there's at least a couple of people that come to mind. One of the interesting things we don't, as Catholics, we don't seem to sort of, I haven't noticed too much of the QAnon stuff yet, um, mostly because we've sort of have been doing this sort of thing, you know, before it was cool. Like, uh, the idea of sort of <laughs> Catholics going what? off. Well, Catholics go Catholics going off on their own uh, sort of, you know, it, it predates even Protestantism, which you know, it, it, it like I, I think of things like you the, can the Cath- call me a heretic. That's okay. Well, that's right. But I think of things like the Cathars, you know, um, you know, who's look what how they were dealt with. This is this is the in, in the Fourth Crusade, I think it was, when they, uh, what was the, the, the quote was something along the lines of, you know, kill them all, God will know his own, I think. You know, that was how that was how the church dealt with it back then. Yeah, yeah, it's um, come later. It's sometimes <laughs> reported as, yeah, kill them all, God will sort them out. That's right, that's right. But, look, I don't recommend that as a course of action for, de- you know, I think there's got to be a better way to deprogram. But, like, that sort of, like, that's the same sort of impulse <laughs> that was present in those communities that, that I think is... Going on with a lot of this online stuff, but even even now in the Catholic Church, you know, there are you know there there are great online sites that you know seem to have their entire life dedicated to undermining the the Pope, while also calling themselves the greatest Catholics of all time. Like it's 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 this weird sort of um, just I don't know. It's like a, a I mean, dis- yeah, it's like with reality. all this conspiracy stuff. Whole, how do you hold these? conflicting thoughts in your head at the same time. I mean, the one with COVID, to go back to that, is at the same time COVID-19 is a hoax, there isn't a disease, but also that Bill Gates is infecting us all with this disease so that he can insert the microchips, vaccines, we will all be killed, robot uprising, and something. That's, that's right. Jews, Look, you know. The- the thing that annoys me, I guess, and saddens me the most at the at the core of all this is that so many of the people, you know, that are susceptible to this, like their impulse is kind of correct. Like, you know, we have well-documented um, abuses of power 
you know, by by you know the global elites and the rich. You know that that's not necessarily <laughs> mate. You're not sitting in a very good position to talk well, about that. Our our church has been right in the middle of it all. Like you know, that's exactly yeah. correct. Like it's this is not the, the truth is itself pretty alarming. So why do we why do we need to go down these rabbit holes that you know go into fantasy lands? You know when we've actually got a truth that itself. Is alarming. I I, I remember actually. The- that's a point. I mean, getting away, uh, you know, from large religions. Um, you, you just need to look at you know the deep state in America. It's like no, no. You were actually making up evidence to invade Iraq. You were actually illegally selling drugs to fund rebel fighters in Central America. You don't need any grand conspiracy theory to say. There's some deep secret force. It was just you guys. You did this. Uh, that's exactly right. On a on a church front, one of the uh, one of the popular ones that have been again as older than time is you get these private revelations where someone will claim to have been visited by you know Mary or an angel or Jesus himself um, with this great message for humanity and you know all these great warnings and and usually the message at the end of the day is repent and believe, which is basically. The message that Jesus came to say in the first place. Um, I think it was my parish priest who was confronted by one of these, you know, saying, so what, what do you expect me to do about it? Like, I'm a priest. I tell people <laughs> to change their lives. I, you know, is it, why do I need to be alarmed? I'm already doing this. This is this is already my work. You know? so, I love that point. The Virgin Mary told me to repent and believe. And then, yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, sure. that's and, the point. And, and I think that's, like if you just I don't know I don't know how we do it on the global like on the grand scale but you know like I think I mean I, I guess this goes a bit into into our next topic which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute and I'll let you preview but I just don't like I just don't get it I just don't get it I don't get why when it, when so much of it is so well documented and obvious that we need to be making up extra conspiracies like I just don't get it <laughs> thank you Ginevra for uh, the trigger word. Uh, deprogramming. Um, uh, let's take a break and do the housekeeping. This is the last of the five uh, Spring Series 2020 episodes with special guests. I hope you've been enjoying them. There will be another batch of these, I reckon, before the end of the year. So uh, wait and stay tuned to see how you can support that actually happening. And also there's some pressure on me to do something on uh, Halloween, which is a Saturday night. Um, because uh, people have been drawing my attention to a lot of erotic fiction relating to Donald Trump, (laughs) I know, uh, to uh, Antifa generally, uh, and also to the coronavirus, uh, particularly a passage where a young woman uh, pleasures herself with a test tube of the virus. Um, And there is a suggestion, yes, that I should uh, review and live read some of the sex scenes in this quality literature. Uh, So I think there will soon be a bit of crowdfunding to encourage you to um, contribute to that. But no matter what, uh, please do contribute to the upkeep of this podcast. Uh, I have powered through them uh, over the last uh, five or six weeks uh, because my my actual other paying work has been down a bit. So all your contributions have been 
really, really well appreciated. Uh, so thank you this time, this episode, to Catherine Young, who took out a, a subscription. That's great. You will get extra benefits, of course, of course, Catherine. Leanne O'Donnell, who wasn't so much for the podcast, but for me ploughing through the budget papers uh, the other night. If you want to see my thread on that or my article on that, uh, go to the podcast webpage where you'll find the links. Uh, and also thanks to four other people who chose to remain anonymous this week, oh, the last two weeks. Fantastic. Thank you so much. If you'd like to join these wonderfully generous and supportive and, and quite lickable people, uh, go to stillgerian.com slash tip, stillgerian.com slash tip. Uh, you can click through from there to take out a subscription so you can throw in trigger words or conversation topics and so on. Uh, or if it's all cu- too confusing, go to the 9pmedic.com and click click around. Look, you'll, you'll figure it out. You should know this by now, okay? Anyway, back to uh, Father Carl. And now, because we have to do it, he's a Catholic priest, uh, the, a word from His Holiness Pope Francis. Yesterday, yesterday I was in Assisi to sign the new encyclical Fratelli Tutti on Fraternity and Social Friendship. I offered it to God on the tomb of St. Francis, from whom I drew inspiration, just as I did for the preceding encyclical Laudato Si. The signs of the times show clearly that human fraternity and the care of creation form the sole way toward the integral development and peace, already indicated by the saintly popes John the Twenty Third, Paul the Sixth, and John Paul the Second. So that's Pope Francis from uh, Sunday, just gone introducing his encyclical titled Fratelli Tutti, uh, all brothers. Uh, just as a side, I knew I knew a greengrocer firm, an Italian one called. Uh, the Fratelli brothers, the brother brothers. That's, <laughs> that's just weird. But before we look at what's in it, uh, Father Carl, what is an encyclical? So periodically a Pope will, um, I guess, write a letter um, and, and it'll be a letter to some addressee, be it, you know, the the bishops themselves, be it the all of the, all of the church, all of the faithful, or indeed in this case all people of goodwill. Um, and and it will be a letter that sort of, I guess, is a teaching document. It's 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 and it's a pretty high level teaching document as far as what the Pope teaches. You know, for for, for a Catholic, we're meant to give it a, a total assent of faith to said document. Um, now, I mean, I could get into the the specifics of what all the different levels of assent are, but in in this particular case, like it's. If the Pope's speaking as a Catholic, we're really meant to listen. Um, now, that sounds like it would be recommended. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's, it seems ideal. Um, but in this case, he's written to the world, and and it's it's what we call a, a social encyclical, which tends to be addressing this or that issue in the world. Um, and usually, often the social encyclicals are written to all of mankind, or at least to all people of goodwill. 
Um, so th that's what this is essentially. It's, it's, it's one of these documents. The last of them, as mentioned in the little clip, was Laudato Si, which was the one on the care of our common home, which was um, very much on, on the environment. It, it, it dealt with climate change, but it was, it was far more about what we would call an integral ecology, um, which is, again, another – it's a technical term, I suppose. But it's not entirely unrelated to this new encyclical. Well, yeah, so message to the world. Uh, the word that you almost said there was manifesto, and well, I don't mean that in I, the negative did I, almost, did I almost say that? Oh, Or I, I almost thought it or something. <laughs> but, okay, I was going to read this so I could comment on it now intelligently, <laughs> but it's 38,000 words plus references. So, yeah, all right, I didn't get through it all or very much uh, – at all. Now, I'm still I not, thought I'm still not through it entirely. Okay. Because it's like just come out. But yeah. I thought encyclicals were more like a, like an all-staff memo. <laughs> well, I mean, in a sense they are. They're just, in this case, particularly long ones. I mean, there, there have been shorter encyclicals. The uh, tendency in this paper, see, for all the documents, all the, he, he likes to write a lot. Um, he's got a lot to say. Uh, John Paul II was notorious for, for writing lots as well. So... Um, but yeah, no. Look, he's he he tends to have a lot to say, Pope Francis. And from what I've read so far, it's pretty good. He um, this document very much is calling us back to our common humanity, um, and it's calling us to recognise that he, he uses the phrase um, universal fraternity and social friendship as the answers to what ails us. Really, that that you know the universal fraternity in that in recognising that we are all brothers and sisters on this planet that. You know, thinking back to that great Cain and Abel story, am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, yes, you are. Um, that each of us is called to, I guess, care about all of humanity and indeed each individual human. Um, and then social friendship in as much as that our actual social relationships in community, you know, are so necessary for our life. So, you know, he talks a bit about, you know, the the, the rise of, of online um, relationships and things like that, which actually, you know, keep us apart from one another. That, that, that they lack the intimacy, I suppose. Um, as you said, he writes for thirty-eight thousand words. He's saying a lot more than I'm saying now. But, <laughs> well, that's um, right. <laughs> but it, it, there's there's lots of different things in there. There's one thing in particular. There's a whole chapter dedicated to what he calls a new kind of politics, which I, I think I, I, is the is where I'm up to. I've just finished that chapter. Um, and look, it's it's very good. I think I think it's it's not saying anything particularly new, but it really does, I guess, reveal just how awful our politics is. You know, one of the one of, there's a concept in in Catholic social teaching called the common good, which sort of isn't it, it's sort of a counter to rampant individualism, but it's it's also sort of a counter to that you know the communist idea of the state as all people. The common good is concerned with each individual person. Um, and, and every individual person such that, uh, you know, politics the church teaches should be, should be geared towards the common good. Um, and I think that's, that's what the Pope's really calling for, that, if, if, that he, he sort of speaks of politicians as this noble profession, which I, I remember hearing about in my youth, but it's hard to think about it when you look at the state of politics at the moment. Mm, mm. Um, but he, he really talks about, you know, politicians who are concerned with the common good, you know, and all that that entails, all that that demands. He talks in earlier chapters about, you know, borders and 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 migration, the way we, you know, we view migrants and 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 you know the way cultures meet each other. It's 
like he's got a lot of really interesting things to say. Um, it's long; it's thirty-eight thousand words, but you know, mm. it's. I think it's a really good contribution to our current debate, and it's not particularly churchy. Like he, there's one chapter that's dedicated to a passage of scripture, but it's probably one of the more famous passages of scripture. I dare say, even you know it, Stilgarian, and that's the, uh, mm. the, the the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. I, you know, that's become part of you know the Western canon of literature uh, because yes, it's there's nothing churchy about that either. Well, it's, that's that's right. It's about a despised person actually doing good, you know, don't despise them because they're in this group. Indeed. Look at their acts. Look at their deeds. Wow. No, look, as we've said before, that Jesus bloke did say some good things. Indeed. Regardless of <laughs> any other aspects of divinity or whatever you you have and yes. respect to those that, as you know, are respecting people's beliefs. But... Regardless of all that, Joshua bin Joseph of Nazareth said some very sensible things. <laughs> he did. He did. And this, I guess, is part of that tradition of sort of expounding those things. Um, he obviously is writing it very much with, with the COVID-19 um, crisis in mind. Um, and there's the whole first chapter is sort of about looking at the problems of the world. Oh, boy. And one of the, one of the things in particular that he's... Um, you know, he's looking at is like the fact that these supposedly rich countries can't even have a medical system that, you know, is able to treat people. Like, you know, the, the lack of ventilators, you know, because we've got these policies that we're running that are cutting, you know, healthcare so that there's no fat. Um, I don't think he actually uses that phrase. Uh, but like it, it, it does have <laughs> that doesn't sound very papal, does <laughs> no, it? No, <laughs> but it does have consequences that we, you know, that if we're if we're if we're running, you know, he's very critical of of neoliberal um, economics, and there's a line in particular that um, I thought was quite appropriate um, given last night's budget, which I think you're planning to talk about later. But it a little bit that the marketplace by itself cannot resolve every problem, however much we are asked to believe this dogma of neoliberal faith, whatever the challenge dogma. This- of fate. Wow. Indeed. It's powerful. Whatever the challenge, this impoverished and repetitive school of thought always offers the same recipes. So, like, it's uh, like he doesn't hold back. Like, it's, that's um, that's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. So, and there's lots of little one liners in there that, you know, that, that caught my eye. There's even a few moments where I sort of had to, like, you know, hang my own head in shame and think, okay, yeah, no, I can do better in that. Um, he's he's big on dialogue and not writing other people off, um, which you know I, I've been guilty of myself and continue to be guilty of, um, you know. So that's a that's a big big one itself. But yeah, it's look. I think it's a really great document. It's only just come out. Um, I'm actually I'm recording on our own. I'm we have our own little diocesan parochial podcast. Um, none of you would probably be interested in it, but we're, <laughs> I, I, I'm sitting down um, tomorrow with a with a theologian um to discuss the new encyclical so look um, i might even send stilgarian a link and if anyone's really interested they can get like a 40 minute um summary or however long we record for on that um absolutely (laughs) look i will say and i haven't said it yet but as always you know there are links to all this on the podcast there's links to the encyclical uh to pope john paul's uh appearance on sunday at the balcony but here's pope francis his name is what did I say? You said Pope John Paul, but you know, <laughs> it's a little little while. He, he, that was the nineteen sixty. Oh yeah, uh, seventy eight. Sorry, John Paul II was the Polish guy. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. John Paul <laughs> One was the sixties. No, he was seventies. No. He was he was only in the job for a month, but you know, it's Paul the Sixth, I think. Oh, that's right. He was quite <laughs> ill, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. Yeah. I'm going to leave that in because (laughs) I'm going to move very quickly to the topic of bread and wine. Sure. Without a sting. Um, A guy called Joel McGarry on the Twitters surfaced this, which I assume is from a Facebook group that he's part of. Um, Someone with the handle Hymns of Heresy, which I like, said... Have you all ever had communion bread that was just so nasty? I should say nasty. Why am I assuming you all said you all? I've got to do this in a southern accent. Have you all yeah. ever had communion bread that was just so nasty? Like I know we have to suffer as Christians. There's another whole thing. But do we really have to have whole wheat bread as the body of Christ? And then someone else, Miss Weber, said some old housemates of mine were Syrian Orthodox at their church. Uh, different members of the church took turns baking the bread that would be consecrated for the Eucharist. Actually, that sounds like a great little thing to do. It's quite common in, in the parish. Um, it's quite common among the Orthodox. Okay, and 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 Miss Weber says, yeah, that was all well and good until one day a woman baked raisin bread. Uh, this, she said, led to the memorable occasion of a rather flustered priest who had not seen the bread until that moment, declaring this except for the raisins, is the body of Christ. And then someone put out, the raisins are just dried grapes and the wine is his blood, so it's really like a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner except with Jesus. <laughs> Indeed. What, 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 that, what your <laughs> image, it's pretty funny, but what your image does miss, which I really laughed at, was um, there's, a, there's a reply to the tweet that has um, Hosea 3.1 there, and, it, and the verse reads, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord. Wait, 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 what? what? Raisins yeah, look, are adultery? Where are you going no, no, no. There's a, there's a whole. There's a second line. Love, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So, so there you go. It's this what? idea that uh, loving loving raisin cakes is apparently idolatry. Uh, I, I, I need to know more. There's about. also a bit in there saying Judaism as idolatry too, which <laughs> seems to be a bit wrong. Yeah. Well, look. No, no, this- given that. Wasn't the Old Testament written by Jews? Oh, no, that's, look, was my impression. I'd have to get into impression? a whole bit about bit about Hosea and the fact that Hosea, as a as a book, is about like the fact that Israel the, and the people, the, the kingdom, have turned away from God. Like it's a, it's a whole analogy ah, using right. using the sort of the the relationship of a man and his wife and, and adultery and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, that's that's, that's oh, much, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Yes, it, much this much, must be, this must be the only <laughs> metaphor in the Bible. Oh, there's, there's there's one or two. But, one um, or two more, yeah. But I do. I was noting when you when you sent this through to me that it's it's interesting because you talked about whole wheat bread. Um, there's there's schools, whole reams of um, canon law discussion uh, in the last twenty years, both about the contents, the, the wheat content of bread, because suddenly everyone is gluten intolerant. We've discovered, um, yes, including one of my best friends, and um, and right. also there's a whole thing about wine needing to have certain level of wine contents because of um, <sighs> alcoholic priests um, who must consume from the chalice, but they're. You know, they've got problems with alcohol, which, you know, they're, they're, there's plenty of people that are battling alcoholism. Um, and so what, it's a what whole level trope <laughs> in terms of the Irish Catholic priest. Yeah, right? Exactly. That's- but but what degree, what what 
how much alcohol does it have to have for it to constitute wine? So it's all very boring. I have pages and pages of pages of notes saved in my folder that I may read one day if it's ever relevant to me. But it's just a you know it's 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 not an inconsequential debate in the Catholic Church. So. <laughs> but wine is it's not two in one shampoo. That's it's definitely not two in one shampoo. <laughs> Well, the next item, Carl, um, starts in Louisville, Kentucky, which is uh, one of the places, one of the many places where the Black Lives Matter protests uh, have have kicked off. Uh, this this report, which sets the scene, is from WLKY News in Louisville, Kentucky. This welcome sign is meant for everyone, as First Unitarian Church serves as a safe space for protesters. Many flocked here after curfew on Thursday to continue rallying, and church leaders say they're ready to welcome them back on Friday night. Our congregation thinks it's important that voices be heard at this time and not silenced. Signs hanging outside First Unitarian Church welcome protesters off the street and into a sanctuary of safety. The most important voices to be heard are those of the black community and we're here to support them we're allies and uh, this is an effort of support reverend lori kyle says the church on fourth street is a place for protesters to come for water snacks medical treatment and jail support peggy moeller president of the church board says dozens started to gather here thursday night as the countywide curfew approached then all of a sudden there are police all over there over here when Mayor Greg Fisher announced the 9 p.m. curfew, he included an exception for people going to church, work, or seeking medical treatment. Mueller says the atmosphere became tense as LMPD officers surrounded the church as they investigated reports of a fire at the library down the street. Protesters fearing they couldn't leave church property without getting arrested. They said, listen, if you just keep everybody on the property... We will not bother them, but if they come off the property, we will. Interim Police Chief Robert Schroeder said in a news conference on Friday, officers were keeping the area secure while they investigated. Once the library was cleared, police worked with protesters to establish a plan for protesters to leave the church and head home. Metro Councilman-elect Ja'Cory Arthur was there as protesters were kept on the property. He posted on Instagram saying, in part, the protesters trapped in a church parking lot are on their way home. I called and texted Mayor Fisher requesting that LMPD let people go home. Protesters were allowed to leave the grounds around 11. Mueller says everyone was gone around midnight. Our police people kept their word. And I, for one, am grateful because my role here is to keep our people and our property safe. Alex Durham, WLKY News. Uh, thanks, Alex. So that's a Unitarian church offering sanctuary, and we'll come to the sanctuary bit in a second. All that happened in Louisville, and and God bless and all best wishes to the people of that church because it sounds like they're doing good work. Mm. But then there's, there's like this guy on Fox News. Sanctuary in Louisville. Your, your reaction. 
Well, Lou, first of all, the idea of sanctuary by a church is a complete myth. Churches don't have that ability to do that, to harbor criminals. Law enforcement, if they wanted to, could go in any place and take a criminal. But what this church is doing is wrong. And Lou, the reason they're doing it is because they don't believe the Bible. The Unitarians threw out the Bible years ago. But if they did believe the Bible, they would know that Romans 13 says, law enforcement officers are ministers of God sent to punish evildoers and to resist law enforcement is to resist God himself. No, I'm not talking about condoning police malpractice, but those cases are few and far between. Most police are doing the right thing, and the Bible says to resist them is to resist God himself. And I'll tell you, at our church here in downtown Dallas, our city's out of control trying to defund the police. We're handing out yard signs to our members that says, defend, don't defund the police, because we know we're on the right side of God and his word when we stand up for law enforcement officers. <laughs> so that guy talking there is Pastor Robert Jeffress. More Indeed. on him shortly. Uh, but two things there, sanctuary and Romans 13. Sanctuary first, What what is sanctuary? My understanding is it's an, it's something that is quite ancient. It's the idea that there, there are certain places where you can go to take refuge effectively. Um, I, I'm pretty sure through throughout English tradition in the law that, that churches um, did offer sanctuary to people, um, you know, and, and it did actually have an effect, a legal effect, that the, that the police would not arrest people in, 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 in sacred places like a church. Um, and so people would come and take sanctuary um, from the law there. Um, now, obviously, legal- so this has presumably become less of a thing as the separation of church and state. Well, indeed, it's has not. become a thing. It's not. So, so what I get from that clip is that uh, the woman who is the local Unitarian uh, priest uh, was saying, hey, "You can't come in here," uh, and and I suppose the pastor is right. Yeah, in the US, you don't have that right, but at the same time what local police force is going to storm a church. Well, this is this is the general idea, isn't it, that, you know, that you'd have to look pretty extreme to be, you know, raiding a church, um, particularly for something, you know, low level like this. If somebody had murdered 12 people, like, you know, we'd probably be, yeah, fair enough, come and grab them. <laughs> but it's, but you know, for something that's like, you know, political protest and, you know, it, it, it tends to have this idea of persecution at the bottom of it. Um that if someone's being persecuted, that they can, that the church will offer them refuge. So, yeah, look, it's it, it it's definitely, I think, still a thing. But you know, it, it I, I have memories in, in my back of my head of of this idea of sanctuary being sort of uh, completely overridden by one of the South American, perhaps Chile and um, Pinochet. But I could be I could be making mistake in there. That, but you know, I, I think I have. I think I met, even went to a, a, a presbytery where Columban fathers lived in in Chile back when I was there in World Youth Day in 2013, and um, there was I think there was a still a gunshot that had been framed on the wall where their housekeeper had been shot um, by the police while they were you know while while somebody was in their in their house taking refuge. So 
and the police raided the wow. place. So, you know. oh, wow, there's so much wrapped up in that. There is, there is. <laughs> my brain know. is now reeling with ideas <laughs> about, oh, yeah, raiding churches and shooting up housekeepers. Yeah, that only but, happened in South America, well, right? Is it? No. Yeah, of course, of course. But I, that's that's an example. I And I, I could be getting the story wrong. It was, you know, seven years ago and, you know, it was one of many things that I learnt that, that, that fortnight. But... It, it's, you know, it's, look it's it a up. thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. Okay, so the other part was Romans 13, and I understand it's Romans 13 verses 1 to 7, and you've told me I should read from the NRSV, which is the <laughs> new revised standard version of the Bible. Indeed. Does it have an ISO number? I don't. I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> ISO, in, yeah, no. Okay, look. I'm going to read this. It's a, it's a bit, and I must admit, I, like I haven't done a Bible reading since I was at school because being a Protestant school, it was less about the Bible, more about cricket and the Puritan worth it, work ethic. <laughs> uh, but okay, let me let me have a go at this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, conduct but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. For the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be subject not only because wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes for the authorities of God's servants busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honour to whom honour is due. Or as Pastor Bob says, the cops are serving God. Wow. Look, I'm going to throw it out there and say Pastor Bob's um, scripture scholarship is is not exceptional. Um, Beautifully put. Well, well I, look, I I, um, I haven't done a lot of work on, on on this particular passage in the Bible, but I, I I did think it was worth picking up a commentary. So I, I went to to my commentary that I tend to tend to rely on, um, and which it, is Reddit. Well, no, 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 no. It's an actual uh, scholarly <laughs> uh, biblical commentary, I, uh, <laughs> but. Um, it, 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 I think one of the things that there's a good lesson in scriptural scholarship in this passage in that okay. one, one only needs to know what happened to Paul in the end to know that, you know, maybe he doesn't like exactly mean it the way that Pastor Bob's taking it. Paul, for those. Okay, I should interrupt at this point and say, for those of you not familiar with the Bible, which includes <laughs> me, uh, but Romans is St. Paul's letter to the Romans, epistle to the Romans. So they're, they're, they're uh, the, the church and community. And it, it, it was Rome. written, what, two centuries? When, when no, was no, no, it's written, it's written only about 30 years or so after after the, the death of Christ. And, um, okay. So, yeah, so Paul, it's an early, it's one of the early communities. They're in, they're in Rome, which is sort of the heart of the empire. 
Um, and Paul's writing in this letter, um, sort of encouraging him. And he goes, gets into some, like, it's one of the more popular Pauline letters. It gets into some really big theology early. And then he sort of has like a few chapters on the, on the practical ways of living as Christians. And, um, Paul, as I was saying, alluding to earlier, for those who don't know, ended up being executed by the Roman authorities. So I'm going to go out on the limb and suggest that he didn't think that that was a legitimate action by the, uh, the Roman authorities, but, uh, <laughs> From a personal perspective, I could be wrong. <laughs> Less, you know, maybe not theologically, but from a personal perspective, look, I I would personally be upset if the Roman Empire executed me or any I would, empire. I would be too. I would be too. But I mean, I my my understanding is that you know these these people were living in a pretty precarious situation in Rome. They weren't super popular. They were sort of looked at as as a bunch of weirdos, and you know, mass executions wasn't entirely off the table. Um, and so Paul, reading contextually, is basically saying, look, these guys in charge, they, let them be in charge. You don't have to get in their faces. You don't have to do the wrong thing just to make a point. Like, let them be the authority and you, you try and do what's good um, and, and they're not going to, they're going to leave you alone. Um, like that's, so it's a whole kind of choose your battles message well, really, that's, isn't that's it? that's sort of how I read it, yeah. I mean, I think it does have some, it's generally good advice, like, you know, just because I, like, you know, even if you're living in in a, in a regime that's not great, don't go out of your way to, to to get in there to cause trouble, and don't do things that they are going to just bring wrath upon yourself just just to make a point. Um, one thing I think that it doesn't account for is things like fascist regimes, and and I think you you've got that coming up. So. <laughs> oh, what a segue! Yes, because. Um, and there's a link to a piece in Havets.com, which is uh, an Israeli uh, news site. Uh, so obviously it comes from a, a primarily Jewish perspective. Um, but Romans 13, the bit we've just cited, was used by the Nazis in July 1933, which was the very first summer that Hitler was in power. And there's another whole thing uh, that I've said in the past about how the rise of fascism happened over like a decade. It mm. wasn't just suddenly overnight Hitler. Um, but during the 1933 summer, there was a young German pastor by the name of Joachim Hossenfelder. He preached a sermon in Berlin, uh, Berlin's most important church, in fact, the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church. Oh, dear, the empire is so wrapped in that. The Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church. Wow. In this church on that date, the church was decorated with swastika banners and he used, young um, Pastor Hossenfelder, used the words of Romans 13 to tell worshippers of the importance of obedience to those in authority, <laughs> like to support Hitler and the... The Nazi Party. Look, I, I have a um, scripture lecturer that when I was doing my studies who um, he, he, he runs sort of on a theory that scripture scholarship and particularly bad scripture scholarship coming out of Germany sort of in the late 19th century into the early 20th century it, it has a lot to answer for when it comes to the rise of the Nazis. Now, another one, <laughs> apparently so. Another yeah. one, another one of my friends would say, "Yes, well, he is an academic. Of course, he thinks his field is, you know, is, is the one ultimately responsible." But uh, and there might be something to that. But he does make a very good case, and I think this sort of thing, you know, highlights, I guess, 
you know, what, the sort of point he's trying to make in that, that you know, though it wasn't, I, I would, you know, say that to call this, you know, a, a true expression of Christianity, I think is is quite abhorrent. But there is something about religion generally and, and Christianity in this case um, that, you know, misapplied and, and manipulated can become a very powerful way of, of causing people to do quite awful things, you know, very, you know, to bring evil about in the world. And, and it's, it's alarming. It, 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 in a way, it goes back to some of, you know, what we were talking about before with the need for deprogramming. But it, mm. it, it's, it's, it's an issue. Um, it's an issue that, you know, I'm, I'm very aware of. And I think it's an issue that, I mean, it's, it's, it's not specifically, you can do it with anything. It doesn't have, you can do the same with, with any sort of philosophy or any idea, you know, taken to the extremes and, and, and with enough people on board, you can, you can lead people to do all sorts of awful. That's, that's the history of the world. Mm -hmm. But, you know, here's an example of it, you know, and it's just this, this one passage that again, alarmingly is now being used to justify, you know, raiding (laughs) sanctuary churches in, uh, in America. It's it's not great, is it? Going back to Pastor Bob Jeffress. He's a Southern Baptist evangelical. Uh, what are they about in a sentence? Uh, again, they're they're a breakaway of a breakaway. They they I think Baptists are they. I don't know. I, I I lose track. I lose track. They definitely tend to be more um, like fundamentalist in their approach, though, from my understanding. Yes, so. uh, <laughs> indeed. But here's what Pastor Bob thinks about the Catholic Church. This is the Babylonian mystery religion that spread like a cult throughout the entire world. The high priest of that fake religion, that false religion, the high priests of that religion would wear crowns uh, that resembled the heads of fish. And uh, that was in order to worship the fish god, Dagon. And on those crowns were written the words, uh, keeper of the bridge, the, pri- the bridge between Satan and man. That phrase, keeper of the bridge, the Roman equivalent of it is Pontifex Maximus. It was a title that was first carried by uh, the Caesars and then the emperors and finally by the Bishop of Rome, Pontifex Maximus, the keeper of the bridge. You can see where we're going with this. It is that Babylonian mystery religion that infected the early church. One of the churches that infected was the church at Pergamos, which is one of the recipients of the book of the Revelation. And the early church was corrupted by this Babylonian mystery religion. And today the Roman Catholic Church is the result of that corruption. Much of what you see in the Catholic Church today doesn't come from God's word. It comes from this cult-like pagan religion. Uh, you say, well, now, Pastor, how can you say such a thing? That is such an indictment of the Catholic Church. After all, the Catholic Church talks about God and the Bible and Jesus and the blood of Christ and salvation. Isn't that the genius of Satan? You know, if you want to counterfeit a dollar bill, you don't do it with purple paper and red ink. You're not going to fool anybody with that. But if you want to counterfeit money, what you do is make it look as closely related to the real thing as possible. And that's what Satan does with counterfeit religion. He uses, he steals, he appropriates all of the symbols of true biblical Christianity, and he changes it just enough in order to cause people to miss eternal life. Uh, Well, apart from his dodgy Latin, (laughs) we'll come to Father Carl. 
are you helping to run a Babylonian satanic cult? Look, in short, I, I no, um, but you know, I, I could have gone the. Oh, you would say me, that, right? You, you've, you've caught me. You found me out. But no, look, I feel like uh, Father Bob's uh, grasp on history is is not great. Um, you know, ignorance. Like at some point, it becomes willful, but maybe it's not the case here. I don't know. And yet, the frightening thing is. <laughs> He is like a regular contributor, guess where, Fox yeah, News. Of course. Obviously. Um, how does his sort of evangelical Christianity, uh, I, I want to put scare quotes around that, but how does that relate to the whole prosperity gospel style of evangelicalism? Um, look, again, I'm not necessarily sure if he is. Um, I mean, there's possibly this, the, the prosperity gospel, but I think, I think one of the things, the prosperity gospel as a as a notion, again, I think is born out of poor understanding of scripture. Like it's 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 one of these things that I guess it, it very much is a fruit of sort of American capitalism. Like it's 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 a it's a way of back theologizing into what we do, you know. Back theologizing, I like that, and I should say, um, prosperity gospel is the idea. It it includes the doctrine of predetermination. Have I got that right? That's the yeah, indeed, which is which which, yeah. which is. Oh, you explain. Well, again, it's it, I think it's the double pre. It's predestination. Sorry, you said determination. Predestination. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, and it's it's the idea that like des- predestination is 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 in Catholicism too, but it's very much the idea that that we've been chosen. For our destiny by God, um, double predestination is where, you, where I would say, as a Catholic, that you're starting to get into error um, when you're saying there are also some who have been predestined for hell. Um, so it's the uh-huh. idea that God has already determined which way you're going beforehand, um, and it's it's a very strong idea in in Calvinism. Um, so the prosperity part in that comes well. You are rich because you are one of God's blessed people, exactly, and you are poor. Uh, because God has already decided that you have moral failures which have consigned you to hell. Exactly, exactly, and and that and that's not very good. It's pretty toxic, really, and it it really, in a sense, makes a mockery of you know certain parts of scripture that sort of you know it's the it's the rich young man that Jesus sent away empty. You know, it's things like that. Like it's the tradition has never been one that says being rich is good. In fact, it, it's often said quite the opposite thing. I think it was John Chrysostom in one of these fake Catholic churches that are really Babylonian satanic cults in, in about the, I think, the 4th century, John Chrysostom. I, I might be wrong there, where he was saying that if you own two cloaks, you stole the second one from the poor. Like, you know, that's it's a far okay, cry Okay, that's, from- <laughs> that's a full-on version of it, but I can get where he's going. Indeed. It's uh, it's quite it's quite an extreme difference to sort of a lot of this prospect prosperity gospel and you know it's, it's a shame really that it's become so popular although it's not a surprise given that it in a way endorses what people already believe in terms of their um their, their politics and their capitalism and their uh, and our prime minister uh scott morrison is very much one of these people well he seems like it yeah i i, I can't speak specifically i don't know enough about his church where he goes um okay. I, I know he's had i should i should roll that back and say <laughs> the ch- the chain of my argument is that prime minister scott morrison i sounded like sean McAuliffe when i did that but pr- prime minister morrison is a member of one of the evangelical churches Indeed. and that particular church 
uh, is very much one of those identified as prosperity gospel, probably by people outside it, but it is an evangelical church of that nature. So how much of the doctrine the Prime Minister has personally bought into we don't know, in the same way that one of his best friends is very deep, deep down the QAnon rabbit hole. Indeed. And we don't know how much of that he's taken on or whether he continues just to be a friend out of, I will be a friend because he's a friend, but he's mad. Indeed. Well, let's uh, move away from uh, the prosperity gospel uh, in the uh, in the religious sense, uh, to the political sense. Uh, now, uh, last night as we record this, the Australian federal budget uh, was handed down. To sum that up, there's, there's like a billion words in the news about this. Uh, but, Carl, I want to play just one clip. Uh, this is from this morning's 7am uh, podcast. It's Ruby Jones and Karen Middleton. What are the key spending projects that have been announced? A lot of it seems to be around jobs and creating jobs. All about jobs, and we've heard that for weeks and weeks. Our plan will create jobs. Jobs, jobs, jobs. Jobs and skills. There is no economic recovery without a jobs recovery. Encouraging people into the workforce, encouraging people to hire and to retain staff. There is no budget recovery without a jobs recovery. Everything about getting people employed and staying employed. This budget is all about jobs. Karen, what assumptions is the budget making about what will happen next with COVID-19? It's assuming that we will get a vaccine by the end of next year. It's assuming that we won't see a repeat of what happened in Victoria, either in Victoria again or anywhere else in the country, and that basically things won't get any worse. And all of these figures are based on some pretty heroic assumptions. <laughs> yeah, heroic assumptions, as you heard there. Carl, did you get a chance to look at the budget news? Look, I haven't had a huge look at it, but um, the, the vibe I get is that it's very much giving lots of tax breaks and incentives to sort of the upper crust for the sake of everybody else. Uh, that, yep. that seems to be the vibe I'm and picking up. And to make it um, easy for industry and therefore they'll employ more people and therefore more employed people will spend more money and economy saved or something. Indeed. It's, it, 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 there's a bit of an underpants gnomes logic from uh, from that old South Park episode. But um, I, I I hope you get that reference. I, I'm not yeah, sure I'll, if you I'll do. drop it in now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Lufu. Phase one, collect underpants. Phase two, phase three, profit. Oh, I get it. No, you don't, fat ass. And there it is. <laughs> but it's look. I do. I do have to question. You know, like I, I think it's a good thing that we're focusing on jobs. Like I think there's particularly in, in our Catholic church and our Catholic tradition, we're big on people having jobs. It's it's, you know, a way of expressing that human dignity that, you know, the, the dignity of work is something that we uphold and people should have jobs. Like it's something that we applaud. I just question this idea that if we just give it all to the private sector, you know, as if it's magically going to make things happen. Like surely if we want jobs, we want good education, we want like we want jobs that are going to actually last that aren't just 
ways of, you know, putting mm. people to work in, in minimum wage sort of, you know, conditions that are going to separate them from, you know, even further as, as the gap increases from the rich and the poor, all these sorts of things. We're, we're waffling about the budget. I, I will move <laughs> on to the last segment. Now, I want to go back to uh, Louisville and Black Lives Matter for a second because there is uh, a TV host on MSNBC, which is a bit more centrist and possibly even centre-left outlet. His name is Ali Vilshi, and he actually describes himself as, unlike Barack Obama, I actually am a Kenyan-born Muslim. Uh, his joke, not mine. He uh, was, you know, hit badly in the knee with a canister of tear gas during one of the demonstrations where he was, was reporting on it. And this is what Trump said. I remember this guy, Welchie, he got hit on the knee with a canister of tear gas and he went down. He didn't, he was down. My knee, my knee. Nobody cared. These guys didn't care. They moved them aside. And they just walked right through. It was like, it was the most beautiful thing. No, because after we take all that crap, for weeks and weeks, they would take this crap, and then you finally see men get up there and go right through. Wasn't it really a beautiful sight? Well, law and order, law and order. What Trump is referring to there as the beautiful sight is the cops ignoring a man who's down. Yeah. That's not great. It's not. I mean, that is literally Schadenfreude, right? It's taking pleasure in the misfortune of others. Schadenfreude is surely a sin. I mean, yeah. Look, there there are forms of Schadenfreude that I feel like you know we we can incline ourselves to the most. Like you know, the fact that the president of the USA currently has COVID might bring about a Schadenfreudic reaction in some. Um, but uh, you, yeah, you, uh, is that a sin? Look, it probably is. It probably is. Um, but, yeah, I think it is a sin. But it's it's probably even more the case when it's something like this, when it's completely, you know, like this is just, that's just awful. Like <laughs> I, I was really, yeah, very uncomfortable as you were playing that clip. It's, um, yeah. It doesn't paint a great picture. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll say that much. So to wrap it up, a question I've been asking everyone, Will Trump win in just three weeks and six days' time? I mean, if you'd asked me even a week ago, I would have said possibly, probably. It's looking harder. I mean, the polls are sort of looking worse. But look, we said that last time. I don't know at this point. I I, I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, Look, on. that's always – I should change the format because that's a terrible point to – to end a conversation on. Uh, Father Carl, <laughs> Father Carl Sinclair, that's been a really fun conversation. Thank you so much. No, thank you. That's the edict for now. All the links are at the 9pmedict.com. You should go there to send me a tip or send me money, basically. Do the likes, do the subscribes. That's what they all say. Uh, next episode will be in a couple of weeks, I think. Stay tuned for news of that. Until then, I'm Stilgarian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.